0: Good morning! Morning!
1: Good morning! Good morning. You I mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not?
0: Please go away, let me speak for the love of God!
2: Welcome to the Wasteland, Ben.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Although I wish you'd left those bloody shoes at the door. I trampled that shit all over the place. Sorry. <laughs> Wastelands and they're always dirty, mate. They're always sandy. Yeah. Really. Sandy and windy. gross and, and windy, windy. And... It's pretty exciting music though that we're just yeah. uh, got playing right now. It's Albert Pune's cyborg. It's, it's, that would have been the totally obvious choice for me today because you know I always talk about Albert Pune. Uh, probably too obvious, I think. And it was just his birthday, I think. It? it was just his birthday last week. So I and
3: thought for sure you were going to be doing, like you were going to talk about
2: nothing but, like,
3: <laughs> you know, nothing but pune films.
2: Well, I was, and I was going almost going to go with uh, Radioactive Dreams for this episode, but um, too predictable, mate. Too predictable. <laughs> so I've gone against instincts. I'm not going to discuss any of Albert's movies for today's show, but I couldn't kick this off without some at least some music from... Uh, from Cyborg, that's the alternative music to uh, to the film by Tony Ripperetti, which was rejected for the theatrical cut, but um, right. restored for the director's cut, so that's good. So who rejected it, if not the director? Would have been the studio. The studio, right? Yeah. We're not paying for this shit. <laughs> but it's, you can clearly hear how amazing it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, context for everybody listening if this is the first time you've listened to the show yeah I have an unhealthy obsession with uh, the work of Albert Pune and by the way the guy opposite me that you heard talking has the same morbid fixation with director Jim Wanorski. so <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just a couple of pathetic fringe dwellers mate
3: yeah I I, say I have never written a script for Jim <laughs> whereas you, you have written for Albert
2: <laughs> you should though
3: I should do it it just takes boobs I just yeah just any, any kind of plot problem Ed
2: boobs. Ah, right. oh, jeez. <laughs> you are listening to Good Movie Monday. It's the weekly movie show presented by FakeShemp.net, which is the home of the Nerdy Cinematic Ramblings. And as you've guessed, today's episode is all about post-apocalyptic movies. Those neo-western, earth-ravaged films that are typically dry and dust wet but not always. Some of them are often very wet and overgrown with gross vegetation and stuff. Mm. Yes, and um, well, we might even incorporate dystopian into this conversation because it's basically the same thing.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, a um a not too nice future, shall we say? That's right. That's, a, that's what they all are, really. What what uh, consists of an apocalypse, really? Like a social apocalypse? <laughs> A, uh, <laughs> My brain is a, too fried for that. A, a philosophical apocalypse?
2: <laughs> or does it have to be zombies? It, you know, or n- a nuclear blast? Throw a dart and wherever it lands. It any of those things. Yep. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I would not hesitate to kill Ben, cook him over an open fire, and um, if push came to shove, you know, I'd probably have him medium rare. And let me tell you, I would last a long time, because there is a hell of a lot of me. Of course, he is Ben Helwig, who I would uh, also probably wash down with a glass of Pepsi Max.
3: I'm like the I'm like the kid At the beginning of uh, Of Zombieland Like you know Rule number 47 Cardio And it's the fat guy Getting eaten by the football zombie Like that's me I'm One of the first to go (laughs) When the world ends Like
2: You know And the show is improved with the generosity of the very kind companies who give us stuff to to give away. And um, in turn, prizes for you. We're talking about Four Pillars Gin, Eagle Entertainment, the Astor Theatre, Lunar Drive-In and Umbrella Entertainment. They are all online, so go visit their websites and social media. Show them support in return. As I said, coming up on today's show, Ben and I are discussing post-apocalyptic movies. And, well, I can't speak for Ben, but I I have a real mixed bag of goodies lined up today.
3: Yeah, I think, no, I... uh... I'm in the similar boat. Mixed bag is definitely the word I would use.
2: (laughs) Right. Excellent. So where this goes, nobody knows. But we also have segments from our good friends. Jarrett Garner from Monster Fest will be giving you the uh, update on what's coming out on home entertainment. Guillermo Troncoso will be giving you all that's going on up at Screen Realm. And the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association, Adam Ross, will be offering you this week's recommendation. Plus those three guys from Bonehead Weekly will be speaking with their funny accents during their fun size segment. We also have some music for you. You're smirking. What? What's that? I was just thinking about the funny accents. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's one of the, What's one movie that comes to mind when you think of post apocalyptic? Mad Max. Yeah, it's got to be that. That's it's the. That seems to be the one that kind of started it all. So if you reckon, if you had to stretch your mind beyond Mad Max, is there any that would sort of strike? Mad you? Max Two. <laughs> the Road Warrior. <laughs> well, I reckon like Blade Runner comes to my <clears> mind, but once again, that's dystopian. But you know they're the sort of the pinnacle. Yeah, I mean, I, well, Blade Runner's a weird one though
3: because it's like it's like kind of Total Recally. It's like more sci-fi. Yeah, but future... then like on the fringes
2: of the city, it turns into wasteland type of thing. Yeah. Which what was the um the movie based in the same universe as Blade Runner Soldier with Kurt Russell?
3: Oh, I didn't know that. Same
2: writer, and he's he's written it in the same. I universe. just thought it was
3: a movie with two hundred Kurt Russells. I <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and and funnily enough when it came, I was like, I don't want to watch this, like, because it's. I thought it was, uh, um, Stargate Kurt Russell, where he's kind of like the asshole crew cut, yeah, crew cut, kind of you know super serious. Like I like he has to be Jack Burton for me to <laughs> you know really get into. Like I like him to be a bit incompetent. I reckon that's a pretty good movie. Look, I, it's one I've actually been meaning to go to go back and, and and watch. Like I have, I have a massive list of films that I for. Usually stupid reasons didn't watch when they were ca- when they came out. Like, like I was would have been working at the video store at the time. And I was like, I don't want to watch this when customers can come in and ruin it, and then just never watched it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then I watch them now, and I'm like, this movie was so good. Why did it take me so long to watch? That's this? it. And
2: that was Paul W.S. Anderson. So you know, oh well. Uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> now, now there's no reason to watch.
2: It. Well, yeah. <laughs>
3: You've you've lowered my expectations, so maybe I'll enjoy it a lot more. There
2: you go. Well, anyway, let's waste no more time. Here's Jarrett to tell you what's coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K.
1: Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, it's an absolute cracker of a week for home entertainment this week, as we've got two of the major distributors releasing a slew of movies on home entertainment. And most of these are actually getting released on 4K Ultra HD as well, which is amazing. So I'm going to start with Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, and they're releasing George Roy Hill's classic The Sting with Paul Newman and Robert Redford on 4K Ultra HD. Now this is from a brand new 4K restoration that was performed last year, and it's coming out in line with the US and the UK, so you won't have to import, you can buy local. It comes bundled with the Blu-ray and ports all the legacy special features from the previous Universal Blu-ray, so outstanding. Then also making their 4K Ultra HD views locally are Vertigo and Rear Window, two Hitchcock classics. Now these two titles were released in Hitchcock box sets in the UK and the US, however locally Universal are releasing them all individually and they will be releasing The Birds and Psycho in the coming months. Now these are an absolute revelation to look at on 4K Ultra HD, the HDR that's been applied to the film's really augments the colour and makes it pop and it's just fantastic to look at. They've never looked better, not even on the original 35 mil theatrical run of these films. This is just... they're truly outstanding. They have to be seen to be believed. And I don't know if I mentioned, but they come bundled with the Blu-ray and do port over all of the special features from the previous Blu-ray releases. Then the last one I'll mention, you know, sort of in a larger or longer fashion than others is that Three Days of the Condor is getting released on Blu-ray and DVD. Now, this is from a new 4K restoration also. However, unfortunately, there's not going to be a 4K Ultra HD release, which is a shame because at the moment, the only 4K Ultra HD release of this film is in France and there's no English language track on it so that's a damn shame but however look I'm gonna pick up the blu-ray and it's sub $20 so look it's it's affordably priced and who knows how big a market there would be out there uh, for a 4k Ultra HD of this film locally uh, then a couple other titles coming out from Universal Sony that I won't discuss are. Uh my Fair Lady. It's coming out in 4K Ultra HD. It's just a 4K Ultra HD SKU. There is no bonus Blu-ray, so there's no special features. Uh, Sound and metal. The Academy Award-nominated film's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. And lastly, Pixie is coming out on DVD. Then moving on to Roadshow. Roadshow. Oh my God, I can't believe it. They're releasing Zack Snyder's Justice League on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and DVD. Now the 4K Ultra HD is a four-disc set. I don't know what. Or if there is any special features on this, whether it's got bundled with the the original theatrical version of Josh Whedon's, I doubt it. There's so little known about this release that I won't know until I go into a store next week and physically pick it up with my hands and have a look at it. I'm excited because as far as I can tell, we are the only territory in the world that are receiving this film next week on home entertainment. So it's kind of a strange global first for Australia for such a big film as Justice League I yeah I'm just astounded but anyway I haven't seen it yet so I'm going to pick up this 4k Ultra HD and give it its first burl uh to see what it looks like in 4k with the Dolby Atmos I'm pretty excited I you know I hesitated on watching it on binge because the stream isn't always the best and the best sort of streaming gets 1080p so look I'm very excited to have waited and checking it out on 4k Ultra HD now to tie in with that release Roadshow is also releasing Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Cut On 4k Ultra HD because this is a slightly different version to the previous one that was on 4k Ultra HD because the IMAX sequences have been reinstated so really the framing's been adjusted so you will obviously you don't lose picture on the left and right you gain it in top and bottom but again it looks like it's obviously in 4.3 that it's not in you know 178 or 239 whatever the ratio of this particular film is Um, However, you do get that more information at the top and bottom while keeping the same amount of information on the left and right. So that's being reinstated, those IMAX sequences, but also the colour timing on this 4K Ultra HD is different from the previous release because apparently Zack Snyder didn't get to oversee that at the time. Then the last title coming out from Roadshow is Boss Level and that's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. So hats off to Roadshow for not only releasing Blu-rays, uh, this week, but also 4K Ultra HD is mightily impressed. Then the last release I want to mention from this uh, week's well, it's not even this week's release. It's it's out now and it's kind of silently crept out there, and it's only available directly through the label's website, which is X Film, and it's The Killing of America, which has finally come out on Blu-ray locally. Now this release port all the special features and the exact same transfer you saw in Severin's US and UK release except the local release has amazing reversible artwork one of which replicates the old palace explosive video artwork and it includes a rather insane 84 page booklet on the movie and the amount of time and research that went into this booklet is astounding and it's very specific to the Australian New Zealand release of the film as well as the legacy of the film it's got some new essays in there and it's got so many images from the film's Australian theatrical release, as well as the film's, you know, home video release. It's just, it's. I'm still getting through this booklet. It's incredible. So, look, even if you own the US and the UK version, I think this is worth the upgrade purely just for that booklet. It's insane, and that one's only available by X Film directly through their website, which is a big cartel website. So throw that in Google if that interests you to check it out. And if you've never seen The Killing of America, you should definitely watch it. It's one of the best true crime kind of documentaries. Uh, it's just something else. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical.
2: Jarrett Garn, everybody. Uh, Jarrett is from Monster Pictures and Monster Fest, uh, both of which you can find on social media platforms. So go and uh, give them a like and a share and a follow and a comment and all that kind of good stuff. Now, Ben, before we get stuck into Focus Films, uh, you and I actually saw a post-apocalyptic movie at the cinemas last week. We and did. The Quiet Place too how often do movies get released that align with our theme of the show never happens no normally we normally create shows to align yeah, with them to align with that yeah <laughs> i was actually thinking about it like
3: we didn't we didn't actually plan it no to coincide with the screening at all like it just it just um magically happens
2: So if you're wondering what we thought of that film we're going to record a reaction video to that which you'll find tomorrow night Tuesday night on our Facebook and YouTube pages um, and then a little later on it'll drop on Instagram as well So the show may be called Good Movie Monday but that's the thing is that we have stuff online that goes out throughout the week as well so it's not just a Monday thing.
3: It's always Monday somewhere <laughs> Is it No It's not like the, it's not like the drinking thing where it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> That's probably true, but no, Monday is... <laughs> on Friday, There's it's not Monday anywhere. <laughs> well, let's talk yeah, maybe about... Maybe Thursday, maybe Saturday, that's about as much as it
2: gets. Post-apocalyptic movies. All right, uh, I'm going to kick things off with probably my most obvious one for the day. It's not obscure in any way, shape or form, but it's, it's unfairly maligned and it is Waterworld. Okay, has to be Waterworld. You're going to go with my one. Okay, uh, no. 1995, directed by Kevin Reynolds, starring Kevin Costner, Dennis Hopper, and uh, you know, many others. Uh, as as just... Jeannie Triplehorn, and uh,
3: the I didn't realize it, but it's the girl from Veronica Mars, like one of her like offside uh, friends who does No, 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 not the oh, one. No, 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 oh, the, the main little girl. Yes, yeah, the main yeah. little girl. Yeah, it's the one who's the who's um. She's I the. I think outcast. she's Mac. Mac. Funnily enough, she plays yeah Mac in. In Veronica Mars,
2: and she's in a lot of movies around that era too.
3: I think she was like uh, she played little girl in a lot of things.
2: Because when she popped up in Veronica Mars, I thought that's that girl from all the movies. Yeah, you know. Anyway, I don't know her name. (laughs) That would have been nice to come into with. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just add that. Add that in now. And I just think this is a movie that has, in my mind, appreciated over the years. The premise is essentially Mad Max on water set in a post-apocalyptic future, which I believe was 2,500, where the polarised caps have all melted and we're all left on the high seas. So it's mostly big floating settlements and all that kind of stuff. Kevin Costner plays the Mariner. It's a Mad Max-like drifter. Do you you like what I did there, Ben?
3: I did. I did.
2: I'm glad you are. (laughs) You're looking down. I'm like, I want your reaction for that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to find, uh, this is for the insert for earlier. Tina, Major Majorino, made Tina. Tina Majorino.
2: That was worth going back for. Yeah. <laughs> that's
3: just so. So in that part where I said like, uh, "We'll put it in now," you could insert that in uh,
2: then, or I could leave you out. You Line's just right. leave all this in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, it's about a whole bunch of people that have being sort of you know um, tormented by a, a group of um, thugs, punk thugs called the what do they call the smokers? Yeah, jet. Jet ski thugs, <laughs> jet ski punks, street led b- scum. Led but- by an eyepatch Dennis Hopper. Yeah, um, You know, the origins of this one actually came from a desire to create like a spin-off from Mad Max. That's what I found interesting about this one. Right.
3: Well, I mean, I suppose it could be on the other side of the world to Mad Max. It could be in the Mad Max universe.
2: There was always that rumour going around that this was originally a script for Mad Max 4. But the inspiration came from, I believe, also the Freak Wave comic book, which I had never heard of. But it's a surfer sort of um, action uh, comic book, and <laughs> you know, right. I always
3: had the idea of a movie where it would be like a western, like a surfy western, yeah. where a stranger surfs into town like from <laughs> from nowhere, <laughs> and like it's all like they have like surfboard battles with spear guns.
2: That'd and be fantastic. Like, the, it'd
3: be awesome. I was just like. But how does he come in from anywhere? Like, and why has he got a spear? Like, it's not like you've got like six spears in well, you. like
2: it's kind of, you could be like Peter Fonda from Escape from Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, meets yeah. Surf Nazis Must Die. Yeah, well, yeah, you are onto something,
3: man. Yeah, meets a like uh, one of those beach blanket bingo uh, and <laughs> it Bobby yes. Darren movies.
2: Well, apparently, the guy that was the main writer for the Freak Wave comic book that did lead to inspiring Waterworld ended up writing Fury Road. So there is a connection. Yeah, you don't, you know, people can't see your reaction, but I'm going to tell them all about it. Ben does not like Fury Road, and we've been there. And done <laughs> but the actual writer, um, David Toy, I can never pronounce his name either. Is it T U O Y? It's T W O H Y. Like TUI. TUI, there we go. That, that's how you pronounce T-O-H. it. T W H. No, Tui. It's Tui. I know that for a fact because right. I've always had this problem, and then someone points it out yeah. to me, and I forget again. Oh. He also cited Road Warrior as his direct inspiration. Anyway, so that was just a whole lot of gibberish. Uh, Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: now, what was there's a there's a weird thing with like what was the because a lot of people got fired. Yeah, from this because is this a is this a was this a Kevin Costner uh, initiated project or was it a? Was he just brought on board and then?
2: No, this was because he'd worked with Kevin Reynolds before. <coughs> they were good buddies. Doing um Robin Hood, I think. And didn't
3: they? Didn't they have something to do with Fandango? Once all like all the way back. Yeah, then? yeah, totally.
2: And the thing is, I think uh, Waterworld was. Uh, they both directed it at right. some point. I think um, Reynolds was kicked off. Yeah, possibly to do with Costner's ego as well. They fell out, but there was also the whole um, typhoon that came through, destroyed the production entirely. Like they just went over budget. It was the most expensive film of all time at the time. At the time. It yeah.
3: sounds like a, very much like a, like a. You've watched that doco Lost in La Mancha when yeah, yeah. Terry Gilliam is trying to make yep. Don Quixote and he keeps firing ADs because yeah. they're going to shoot in the desert and it rains for the first time in 100 years. And you're like, yep. well, it's no one's fault, but. <laughs> going to blame someone yeah. <laughs> first AD is going to get the chop.
2: Oh, well, exactly right. Um, but I, I think over time it, it stands up very well. And I think that's, once yeah, I again, really owed it. to mostly practical effects. You know, when it's practical at the time, it can be a bit hokey because we're used to other films of the time exploring new CGI and we're all, you know, gaga over that. But you go back, one yeah. holds up and the other doesn't.
3: No, like, I mean... If you're going to shoot someone with a spear gun type thing, like you want to see, you want to see a practical effect. You don't want to see a CGI blood splatter that you know doesn't land on the person behind, or it's not there in the next shot. <laughs> yeah. It's just always looked bad.
2: So, Waterworld. Um, what's your first one? Well, my one is <laughs> like at least
3: in the it's a it's a modern era. It's a modern era post apocalyptic film. Excellent. Or or. Actually, maybe it's not even post-apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic. Right. Uh, But uh, it is nowhere near as well thought of. (laughs) And it's one that I have to admit that when it first came out, I was like, this is terrible. But I find myself watching it quite a lot. (laughs) I do that to myself all the time. It is 2009's 2012. My goodness. (laughs) Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. And it was his follow-up to uh, Day After Tomorrow, which I absolutely loved. And this is a very much a kind of a poor man's...
2: I almost went for Day After Tomorrow because I think it is a banger movie.
3: Yeah, like I really love it. But funnily enough, and this one, like John Cusack is, you know, he gives a weird performance in it. It it is a terrible film. And it is. But it's compelling. Yeah. I don't know. It's something about it. Like I love Woody Harrelson in it. Yep. I love. I. I genuinely like just about anything that Chiwetel Ejiofor is in.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: David, congratulations you know, on, the pronunciation. on pronunciation.
3: Oliver Platt. Yeah. Like, plays a kind of megalomaniacal chief of staff. Mm-hmm. You know, politi- uh, White House chief of staff. It's got a lot of kind of great stuff, and it is all about, of course, like like Y two K, uh, nine years prior. There was the Mayan calendar that predicted the end of the world in 2012, and that's what this movie is. I felt like it was a very
2: unfocused film in comparison to Day After Tomorrow.
3: It was too big in scope. Yeah, like at the at the end of the day, um, Day After Tomorrow was about Dennis Quaid trying to save Jake Gyllenhaal. Correct. Whereas this one, it has that, it has that, but no one cares. Like. they're not in any kind of position yeah. of authority pulls or anything. his camera
2: back to show everything.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it like some of those scenes, like the destruction of Los Angeles scenes yeah. are phenomenal. Yeah. Like they look really good and it is, it does stretch the suspension of disbelief. Like <laughs> the limos, uh, <laughs> the John Cusack, you know, John Cusack who plays a limo driver in this <laughs> failed author and limo driver, like navigating this unwieldy black limousine through toppling skyscrapers and, uh, you know, uh, freeway destruction and lava filled cracks opening up in the, in the earth. But, uh, I have to say like, it's, I wouldn't say it's a guilty pleasure cause I don't feel guilty about it at no. all. But um,
2: but it falls under most people's guilty pleasures. Guilty,
3: yeah, it's it's a movie that there's there's zero reason for me to have watched it as many times as I have. Yeah, right. And like own it mm. on as many formats as I
2: own it on. I need to give it another another crack because uh, I have it, and I definitely go back to the other one though. After tomorrow, it's just, yeah. oh, What a what a beauty. All right, well I'm gonna go back to 1959. And Stanley Kramer's brilliant post-apocalyptic sci-fi On the Beach, which is uh, starring Gregory Peck, Anthony Perkins, Ava Gardner and Fred Astaire. Now, for those who don't know, uh, this show is recorded in Melbourne and On the Beach was shot entirely in Melbourne and more specifically in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And that is why I love this film, because how often do you get to see Gregory Peck and Anthony Perkins at Frankston Station? Yeah. <laughs> And they shot so much of it at Berwick and Phillip Island and Well,
3: you know how you know how they you know that they shot it at Frankston Station because there's that one scene where Anthony Perkins threatens to box cut some cunt.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is the big giveaway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh
2: my god. What a film. Uh, other than the locations and that sort of, you know, that little that factor for us Melbournians that get a kick out of the story is amazing. Like it takes place at the sort of during or at the end of world war three. And Australia is the only inhabitable place left on earth after sort of a nuclear sort of fallout. The entire Northern hemisphere is decimated. And then factions of the U S military are stationed in Melbourne. And like, there is just the impending threat of that fallout drifting South. And in other words, they all know that the end is imminent. Like they are in their last days. It's just a gripping piece of drama. The black and white is very delicious. I always like these films, you know, when they're in black and white. But, yeah, um, just in general, stunning. And what more is there to say? I love the fact that um, apparently when they were here, there was so much attention on Eva Gardner being in Melbourne that everybody was on the beach trying to cop a look. Yeah. To the point that Fred Astaire, who was the biggest one of the biggest stars on the planet, was able to just go down, like, Chapel Street into op shops and buy clothes without being recognised. 'cause yeah. everyone was so focused on like can you believe Ava Gardner's in town. <laughs> Never mind Gregory Peck or anything. Well, yeah, or Psycho.
3: I mean maybe this, it was before Psycho?
2: Yeah, it was before Psycho. Before Psycho.
3: Yeah, back when he was just there. Cuz this is it's been remade. It was remade in 2000, but there was isn't there a oh, with Amanda Santé and Brian Brown? Yeah. And, and Grant Bowler.
2: And that it? was mostly shot down on the Great Ocean Road, I believe.
3: Right. But there's, isn't there's another I thought there another movie that's a remake in everything but name. Hmm. But I can't. Uh, no, I have a clue. Remember what it is? But it's basically the same thing. It's very similar to that. What's that party movie that you like a lot? Where they oh, these you? final hours. Yeah, yeah. It's that. Okay. People know that it's the end is coming, and mm-hmm. it's what they do in
2: their last. Yeah, it's a great concept.
3: Yeah.
2: Hmm. Well, there's no um, and, uh, <laughs> there's uh, no gangbangs in on the beach. Yeah,
3: so. uh, <laughs> looking for looking for a friend for the end of the world. And, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: You I'm know. sure there are gangbangs on the beach, but just not in this film. Yeah, <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm sure a lot of inhibitions were shed. <laughs> yes. Like, there's a, a remarkable lack of looting from Memory too in the film. But then, yeah, what's the very, point of looting it? Like, it's
2: very civilized. Yeah, there's panic, but it's civilized panic. Yeah, I just love it. I think it's a really good concept that's sort of never been done as well. Mm. What's your next one?
3: Uh, look, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it modern. And I, I did talk uh, to you about this film uh, quite a bit over the last couple of days, funnily enough, mm-hmm. but it is 2019's The Silence, yes, which is a, a Netflix film uh, directed by John R. Leonetti, who is the man responsible for Annabelle, but more importantly, mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Excellent. <laughs> uh, it stars Stanley Tucci, Kiernan Shipka, Australia's own Miranda Otto, and uh, John Corbett, who I'm always puzzled by his... Name being so high in the credits because I guess it's a maybe it's a surprise in the movie, but he gets killed pretty quick <laughs> in the film but it is a it's very similar to the quiet place
2: it's one of these sensory sort of yeah. horror films that all came around at the same time. yeah, so there was yeah. a
3: bird box yeah. quiet place don't breathe don't breathe yeah. very, very similar and this one, like a bunch of uh, almost like the descent, a bunch of um, kind of cave hopping scientists Mm -hmm. uh crack through a they go super deep in in i think it's in like a national park they're Mm. they're excavating and they go super deep and crack open this shell and it turns out to be like a nest of these pterodactyl type like bird
2: man creatures
3: that look like every other cgi (laughs) kind of bird creature (laughs) uh ever ever kind of you know, yeah. created.
2: I avoided this when it came out because of the fact that it was just sort of. I felt like it was on the bandwagon of all these other films. I actually,
3: and I actually look. I enjoy it. Mm. No, more, you like were selling least, it. You were at selling least it. The, the kind of the first half, like it is. Um, and so basically, so these things come up, and they're because they've been living, you know, in pitch blackness mm. the whole time. They're completely blind, yeah, but have incredibly sensitive mm. hearing, and so any noise that are they're attracted to, and they. Mm. Attack and kill it. It's a great concept. I mean um, and that's proven. And there's, you know, there's some great, you know, there's some great kind of sacrificial scenes in this film where mm-hmm. they're like, there's a, there's a baby sacrifice because these people are trapped in a subway and there's a baby there that's crying <laughs> and they know they're all going to die unless they
4: sacrifice the, the they baby. Sacrifice the
3: baby, <laughs> and this guy goes to take it out, and the mother kind of, you know, I'll go out with it, and she takes the baby, and mm. you know, of course, is is killed. They kill the family dog like they super they do a lot of kind of super kind of hardcore Great. kind of stuff which is really good and then they can't, they do I'm going to say it kind of lessens a bit towards the end because mm. they bring in a cult right. there's a cult yep. of these uh, religious nuts who have cut their tongues out mm-hmm. and they're in the middle of some kind of religious ecstasy looking for It's kind of
2: cool though like just in the concept within oh, the context of the story It is but it
3: just becomes kind of almost too much yeah. of the plot. Yep. Like, they're the lesser... They're really the... Like, they, they handle it a lot better in The Quiet Place too.
2: Yeah, right. right. Which There's, is, is
3: yep. like, a similar thing that happens in Quiet Place too. Yep. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, but, it, it, like, overall, it, it is a very entertaining film, and it does... They do ratchet up the tension quite nicely in the first kind of half.
2: I'm going to add it to my list, because you sold me the other day when we were talking about it, and you've sold me even more by giving me some more details, so... Cool. It's pretty awesome. All right. Well, good stuff, sir. All right. Let's take a pause. Maybe take a piss and make a coffee. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh,
4: Gammo can take the mic. We can do it. I can piss in your coffee if you
0: want. Fucking hell. (laughs)
4: What's going on everybody It's me here again from screenrealm.com Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television let's cover some of the news from the past seven days kicking off with attack the block 2 that's right around a decade after the release of 2011 sci-fi comedy action adventure film attack the block a sequel is officially in the works john boyega who broke out with the film will be back on board playing moses and director, writer Joe Cornish will be back as well. In a statement, Jumbo Yeager said, it's been a decade since Attack the Block was released and so much has changed since then. I'm excited to see this Haydn story return to the streets of London. Moses has remained one of my favorite characters to play and bringing him back is a huge honor. No plot details have been released. Travis Knight, director of stop motion animated film Kubo and the Two Strings and Transformers film Bumblebee is set to direct a vampire action thriller for Netflix. Titled Uprising, the film will be set after a global viral outbreak, turns people into vampires and will follow a CIA agent who works against the clock to uncover the truth behind this uprising that's threatening to wipe out all of humanity. The latest draft of the screenplay comes from Jeremy Slater, whose credits include the US Death Note movie, The Exorcist series and Netflix's Umbrella Academy series. Game of Thrones actress Natalie Emmanuel and Jared Hedland are set to star in The Bride, a horror thriller inspired by Bram Stoker's Dracula. The film is described as a contemporary horror thriller that tells the story of a young woman who is courted and swept off her feet only to realize that a gothic conspiracy is afoot. The film is going to be directed by jessica m thompson whose credits include indie drama the light of the moon and showtime series the end screen gems is pretty excited with this one they want to start filming asap this year and they're reportedly looking at this as a potential franchise starter and get ready for hocus pocus 2 bat middler sarah jessica parker and kathy Jimmy are coming back for a sequel that's heading straight to disney plus the follow-up to the 1993 film will follow three young women who accidentally bring back the sanderson sisters back to modern day Salem and they must figure out how to stop the child hungry witches from wreaking a new kind of havoc on the world. On board to direct the sequel is Anne Fletcher, known for Step Up, 27 Dresses, The Proposal, The Guilt Trip, Hot Pursuit and the series This Is Us. And following last week's news that I shared of casting for Knives Out 2, Kate Hudson has joined the growing ensemble, which currently includes Catherine Hahn, Dave Batista, Janelle Monáe, Leslie Autumn Judia, and Edward Norton. Daniel Craig is returning to solve another mystery. Still no other plot details are known, nor is it known who Kate Hudson, or anyone else for that matter, will be playing. That about does it for me guys, thanks so much for having me, ScreenRealm.com for all your latest movie and TV news trailers, all that jazz, until next week, see you later.
0: Are lost, but you'll never see the end of the road while you're traveling But there's no proof In the paper today
2: Problem with playing this song, Ben, is that now I just want to keep listening to Crowded House.
3: <laughs> I just want to. I just want to sit there with Molly Ringwald and Corey Nemec, and listen to it while burying family members. I don't even need.
2: Yard. I don't even need to back announce that one. No, no. but it, it was "Don't Dream It's Over" <laughs> by Crowded House, as featured in Stephen King's The Stand, as directed by our friend of the show Mick Garris. Um, Alex Proyas directed the music video for that song. Oh, really? Yeah, as well. And uh, before that, we had Guillermo from Screen Realm. Visit screenrealm.com. Uh, it's the place to get all your movie news, reviews, prizes, and other stuff. And we appreciate their support of this show. So go and give them some love. i got to say, Ben, I am frazzled on this episode. I want to give the listeners some context here because my mind is and my voice is just all over the place. I haven't slept in 24 hours. Yeah, well, that's
3: uh, understandable. <laughs> yes. Uh, that
2: you've It's not understandable that you
3: haven't slept in 24 hours. <laughs> it's understandable that you're frazzled yes. because you haven't seen it. I think, I mean, personally, Und- I've been listening to us talk. <laughs> it doesn't sound any different to any other show.
2: Maybe it's my brain that's just not in the same room right now. That's okay. what it is. I don't know. Anyway, I just just in case this, uh, if I go back and listen to this, and it sounds like a hot piece of shit, and that's why. Uh, it's not you, it's you've me. You've just given yourself an out. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's drop some more choice films on everybody. Ben, you can take the lead on this one. All right, so this time I let's let's travel back.
3: All oh, right, back in time to nineteen eighty-seven. Okay, with Steve DiGiorgi's Cherry Two Thousand. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is one of my favourite films from childhood. Yeah, uh, it is uh, Steve DiGiorgi. For those people who don't know, is the guy behind Miracle Mile and a couple of great episodes of TV shows. That I won't mention here. Uh, <laughs> it does star uh, David Andrews. I think it was David Andrews' first film.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Melanie Griffiths as the bounty hunter, E. Johnson. Uh, Pamela Gidley as the titular Cherry 2000. And then there's uh, Tim Thomason who uh, kind of steals the show as Lester, the uh, nice. wasteland warlord. Mate, he uh, was all over these type of movies back then. He like Considering he was a stand-up comedian, he got into <laughs> a lot of... He got in, he got his mug into a lot of films.
2: You could argue Trance is as dystopian too. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Doll Man,
3: Doll Man, yeah, not so much Doll Man. Nemesis but, uh... two
2: and three, <laughs> and four and four.
3: <laughs> um, but this one. So this one. <laughs> so if you've never seen Cherry Two Thousand, Cherry what Cherry Two Thousand is a sex doll, <laughs> basically. Is <He's> a very <laughs> and David Andrews. Like, it's it's in it's set in a, in a future where human interaction is very much contractual. Yeah. Like, there is a scene in the film where he's at a nightclub. Marshall Bell, his co-worker, convinces him to come out to a nightclub where you see a very, very young Lawrence Fishburne as a lawyer uh, drafting up a contract, a sexual contract between two people at the nightclub about what they can do and what they can't do and is there cuddling after and <laughs> when do you have to leave and, like, everything is incredibly regimented and... Uh, David Andrews is not into this at all. He's in love with his uh, Cherry 2000 sex doll, which is a very hard-to-find sex doll. And after one... Uh, he comes home one day and she's washing the dishes and uh, the suds that he decides to uh, have his way with her and the suds from the washing up go everywhere... Because in the future, they don't have dishwashers. Mm. The suds go everywhere and um, and she short-circuits. Mm. So when he tries to get her to get a new one mm. that he can put her chip into. He's told that that's impossible. The Cherry 2000s were discontinued. And the only place to get them is out in the post-apocalyptic wasteland in the Forbidden Zone, which is actually Las Vegas.
2: It wouldn't be anything like <clears throat> Steven Spielberg's AI, would it? No, not at all. <laughs> it sounds exactly <laughs> like AI. <laughs> um,
3: and so he has to then hire a bounty tracker by mm. the name... but played by Melanie Griffiths, yep. to help him enter the wasteland and retrieve his sex doll. And, of course, along the way, he may or may not kind of fall in love with the real woman, Melanie Griffiths, and uh, <laughs> you know make the ultimate sacrifice in order to save her at the end of the film. Would it
2: be accurate to say that you discovered this film by Googling sex doll? <laughs>
3: I found this way before Google existed, my friend. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know actually know how it first came. It begs a lot of questions. It. Like it was a, it was just a science fiction film that was that did the rounds because yeah. it was very, despite the fact that it does feature a sex doll. There's no nudity. There's yeah. no explicit violence. I think it was just on TV quite a bit mm. at, at the time.
2: Well, it was that era of like you know, um, what was it uh, weird science and you know you had all these yeah. sort of you know young boys you know conjuring up hot very much chicks, so. yeah. Yeah,
3: 100%. And they're funny enough, like this movie has spawned a burlesque show <laughs> that is
2: excellent. Cool. Well, um, the fact that you said Melanie Griffiths, I almost, this is the one I almost chose that I thought I won't do because I thought you would. And that was A Boy and His Dog with Don Johnson.
5: Yeah, right.
2: Uh, I didn't go with it. I do like that movie though. It's so batshit crazy. I was gonna
3: say it's it's just it's a bit OTT for me.
2: Yeah, and if you've never seen that, let's just do a little bit of a recommendation. So that's essentially a post-apocalyptic wasteland, and it's a boy and his dog, but the dog's got telekinesis. Yeah, and can talk to him, and it's just and but he's he commentates everything the guy does. Like you know, he insults him. Like I can't believe you <laughs> can't believe you can't get laid, and all that kind of stuff. yeah.
3: And there's all sorts of weird. The people he runs into are weird. Yeah, strange. Dress weird, and yeah.
2: it's all. It's I do. Weird. I, I do like it a lot, but definitely weird. I've gone for a weird one though. Yeah. So for this one, um, I've gone with a kooky animated film from 2009 called Nine, which um oh. was directed by Shane Aker, but more famously produced by Tim Burton and uh, let's see if I can get the name right, Timur Bekmurodov. <laughs> he's the guy that yeah, directed Nightwatch, and you're on your own with that one. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. He's he's a Russian oh. director that yep. um. Yeah, did the Nightwatch, Watch Day Watch saga. Anyway, he did the original and the remake.
3: There was no the remake. Didn't they, the American didn't they do?
2: No, Night Watch was a thriller with no. That's a different one. That's the Ewan McGregor one in the hospital. No, 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 no. I thought they, I thought they did the Russian
3: one. They like the there was they saw the Russian one said it was really good and then they got the same guy to just do it do do the same version. Basically, not that I'm the aware film, of, like Haneky with funny games. Yeah,
2: right. No, not that I'm aware of, but he did do Night Watch, Day Watch, which was part one and two. There was supposed to be a third one, which yep. was going to be an American one, and that never came to be because all Miramax were doing them, right? I think so. They brought them. They, well, they, 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 discovered were Fox, them. they were Fox releases. Anyway, I digress. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, nine <laughs> uh, takes place in an alternative 1930s, and uh, Earth has been decimated by a great war between mankind and machines, and all that's left are a group of nine rag dolls known as Stitchpunks. And uh, they were created by a scientist who was originally forced to build the great war machine that ultimately caused the extinction of mankind. And these rag dolls have been brought to life with alchemy and a talisman, but they've got parts of the soul of that maker in them, and they hold the key to maybe you know bringing mankind back to life. Yeah, it's a complex and convoluted kind of thing, but it is a visceral treat. It's got that steampunk aesthetic, which I like a lot. It does get overused a lot, but. The whole Tim Burton stop-motion quality is there. So, you know, his films like Corpse Bride and things like that kind of has that sensibility. But there's a bit of Studio Ghibli in there as well. It kind of has a real sort of Japanese flavour to it too. So, yeah, look, I get a kick out of this. How's this for a cast? you got Elijah Wood, Jennifer Connelly, John C. Riley, Crispin Glover and Christopher Plummer. Oh, that's a good yeah, cast. Right. Yeah. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It's called Nine, and it's just the number nine. Numerical. Numerical, yeah. So.
3: I always used to get it mixed up with Coraline because yeah. of the button eyes.
2: Very similar. And yep. once again, like not a Tim Burton film, but comes from that stable of, you know, yep. I think that was Henry Selick. Or... And they're around the same time. They're very, very
3: close. They came out relatively close together I think, definitely right, so.
2: definitely did and uh yeah but I actually well oh, they're both really good I was gonna say I like nine more but I think they're probably neck and neck yeah both creepy though both nightmare creepy like
3: yeah like that was the great <laughs> my nieces my nieces <laughs> were obsessed with coralline and you'd always I just like put buttons in my eyes and, <laughs> <laughs> I am your mirror self or whatever that I can't remember what the thing was the,
2: now you'll uh, have to um you'll have to wear a hessian sack and dress yeah. up like a stitch punk. <laughs> I just end up, if I
3: put a sack on, I just end up singing the Oogie Boogie Man song for the <laughs> Before Christmas. How does that go? No, I'm not doing it. I'm okay, doing it. Right.
2: No. All right. Do you want to lay your next one on the desk? Uh,
3: sure. This one is uh, from a year after uh, Cherry 2000. From 1988, it is World Gone Wild.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say Cherry 2001.
3: No, <laughs> that's bad. No, <laughs> 2010 Cherry 2000. 2010 Cherry? <laughs> How does it work? Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was it again? Uh, World Gone Wild.
2: I don't know this one.
3: It's directed by uh, Lee H. Katzen, the man responsible for whatever happened to Aunt Alice and the Salzburg Connection, if you saw that. Uh, Bounty Films released that a uh, couple of years ago. What did happen to Aunt Alice? Uh, I don't know. The something, something, similar thing that happened to Aunt Rue. <laughs> um <laughs> And he also directed a number of MacGyver episodes, the greatest TV show of the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, it was the 90s, I think,
2: MacGyver. Yeah. Uh, 80s, the original. 80s, yeah.
3: yeah. Spanned decades. <laughs> uh, this movie stars uh, Bruce Dern, Catherine Mary Stewart, uh, who I'm sure is a favorite of yours, as she is of mine. Uh, and they, they, are like, a, it's like a post apocalyptic kind of kind of world and they live in a kind of around an ampulse service station and they've discovered water mm-hmm. uh, like a deep well of, yep. of water and so then they become they attract the attention of uh, an evil cult <laughs> led by Adam Ant of all people <laughs> another cult <laughs> another cult and his like this <laughs> the, the kind of the conceit of the film is the they the only surviving book that they use to guide all their principles, of this of this like small settlement is it like an etiquette book? Mm-hmm. But Adam, Adam Ant's cult, they've their the book that they've based their existence on is a book about about um, uh, what's his name, Charles Manson and the Manson gang. Right. So they were all <laughs> some the, like they're all like you know Manson gang kind of nutty, like they're all like wannabes, want, wannabe sociopaths.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> uh,
3: and so then to protect. To protect their and they're like totally you know over overmatched, so to protect themselves, Bruce Dern goes into the like a kind of a a relatively close city Mm. and hires Michael Pare and his uh, mercenary bunch to kind of defend the town, and then basically turns into Magnificent Seven.
2: Once again, you sold me. Uh,
3: But this like so it's Michael Pare. One of the other mercenaries is Julius Carey, who. He's one of my favorite actors. He played uh, uh, Tom Lord Bowler or Lord, Lord Tom Bowler <laughs> uh, in Briscoe County Jr. and he's also uh, Show Enough, the uh, Shogun of New York in uh, Last Dragon. Uh, Man, is, uh, I've it's never awesome. heard of it, dude. Yeah, it's a, look, it's a, it's a, it's very much of its time, yeah, yeah, like yeah. in that kind of 80s post-apocalyptic.
2: You did preface the show by saying you're not going to go obscure, and like I'm like, I haven't even fucking heard of this oh, one. So it came out, it's a Warner Brothers release on VHS. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> like I'm not all over
3: it. <laughs> that's mainstream, like if Warner released it, that's pretty mainstream, I would have thought.
2: Well, I mentioned Studio Ghibli a few minutes ago, and I've gone with one of their films for my next one, and it's an amazing film from 1984 called uh, Nausicaa and the Valley of Wind, and it's absolute, like epic piece of animation directed by the uh, legendary um, Hayao Miyazaki. And who is... You know, Hayao! <laughs> who is, you know, the granddaddy of Ghibli, really, him and amongst three others. But to be honest, this is not actually technically Ghibli because it was made before the studio formed, but the studio was formed off the back of this film. And right. then they sort of absorbed it into their catalogue. It's released locally under the Ghibli collection by Madman. Yes, it definitely is. But even like, like a year or two after Ghibli... Were founded. They they just absorbed it because yeah. it was all the same creatives. But it's set two thousand years after a giant insect invasion um, wipes out most of mankind. Tells a story of a princess who finds herself up against another kingdom that are trying to destroy the poisonous forests where all these insects sort of you know, live. But by destroying those ecosystems, that really will doom mankind's survival. You know, so she sort of you know is on this mission to sort of you know find a middle ground to live in harmony. Once again, I, I love uh, I love the voice casts of the English versions of Ghibli. Yeah. A lot of people disagree with me, but I like Ghibli's Americanized versions simply because I think quite often their films are set in Westernized societies and cultures. Yeah. So having the English translation animation, you can translate easily. Like they're not lip synced. Yeah, that's you know what right. I mean. So for this one, you've got Alison Lohman, Patrick Stewart, Shia LaBeouf, uh, Uma Thurman, Chris Sarandon, Mark Hamill, Tress McNeil, and. Edward James almost.
3: Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> that's right.
2: I actually, like I, I saw this movie on video mm-hmm. and I was shocked at how gory and violent it is. Really, really graphic. And that's Ghibli as well. Like they have this, they're called like Disney of the East, yeah. but but their stories, they, they respect young viewers a lot more. Like they, they give them yeah. that glimpse of the darkness, you know. Which films of our generation used to do back in those days? Yeah, totally. You know, which when you look back at kids' films, <laughs> from, yeah. the, from the from the late seventies and early eighties,
3: you'd be shocked. Like they would, they would never get yeah. away with it. Now.
2: I saw a great meme the other day of like it, like Madame Tussaud's Wax Museum or somewhere like that, and it's the werewolf from American Werewolf in London with its grizzly jaws open, and next to it's a Labrador, like yeah. dog, and the the quote on the screen says like PG in the eighties. PG now, no, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> which sums it all up really. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just think the animation of Jubilee is amazing, but Nausicaa is particularly good. Uh, it's very, it, it, it gives Star Wars a run for its money in, in, in its concepts and all that kind of stuff. And, and even Dune There's a bit of that in there. Um, so get on it if you've never seen it. It's very easy to come by. I think Jubilee are on so, one of the streaming services now. And I think, uh, I think well, as of time of this.
3: This episode airing might be the last day, but JB Hi Fi doing that buy one, get one free. Yeah. And they usually have all of the Ghibli stuff in stock.
2: And I think that sale does end today. So, yeah. Get on it. Not a sponsor. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, we Could like be. to
3: help out the listeners. Could
2: be. Uh, was that, did you do two? Uh, Just now? Or have you got one more to go? I've got another one. Go for it. But that's, that's, that, we'll have done five then. Okay. No. Hold on. Hold your horses. Yeah. <laughs> We'll throw it to the Bonehead Weekly Podcast first. Uh, those three guys from Kentucky, Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, James Thomas. Um, they do a special fun size segment on this show, if you've never heard it, and um, we love the partnership and we appreciate the value that they bring from that place in the world where they are. Uh, so without further ado, now that I've said that, they're probably going to fuck
6: it up. Bonehead. No, oh, you got it. You find that little record button. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. We were asked to talk about post-apocalyptic films. Swear to God, it wasn't Glenn.
7: We'll edit this out in post, right? No, no, we
6: ain't <laughs> probably in not. We did a whole episode as a is a plug for for our Bonehead Weekly, a show that we do over here in the states on post-apocalyptic films, as I remember. Also referred to as the Colonies somebody, I'm sure. By some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have a lot of experience because basically our lives are post-apocalyptic. What are some of your posts of favorite post-apocalyptic? <laughs> it's it's called talky, talky, speaky, speaky. Well, I was going to let Chad go.
8: I'll just uh, talk about one of my favorites. It's kind of on the nose, but I like it. Uh, one of my favorite directors is Jean-Pierre Jeunet, And one of my favorite movies from his is Delicatessen. I really love Delicatessen. It takes place in an apocalyptic world where food is... Um, hard to find and it's all it all takes place inside of a, a apartment building that's basically a derelict apartment building the the man who runs the building is uh, hires a maintenance guy and also too he feeds the people inside the apartment through nefarious means don't want to give too much away it's in french it's well worth the shot where what well worth the view check
6: it out i've got two and i've talked to about both of them on we it. don't care
8: about the post man
6: an ad nauseum. Waterworld. Children of Men. And it's one of my favorite movies. It came out in 2006, the same time as Pan's Labyrinth. And I just think 06 is one that was just a fantastic year for movies. But the other one, too, is The Last Man on Earth. It's the most faithful adaptation of which book, James? I Am Legend oh, by am Richard legend. Matheson. Richard Sorry, Matheson, I, I, My favorite, favorite, favorite Richard Matheson book is Hell House. But right after that is I Am Legend. And it's one of my favorite post-apocalyptic stories where in the future, because I think a lot of people know children and men, but in the future, the world's overrun by vampires and there's just one human left. And he is legend.
7: I, I'm going to talk about one that I've talked about before, but I want to start at it this way by saying what a great writing cast this screenplay had. John August, who wrote a lot of the Tim Burton films, Frank and Weenie, also wrote Go, uh, mm-hmm. Big Fish, wrote all those films. You get him and Ben Edlund, the creator of The Tick, also author of a lot of different screenplays and things like that. And then you get this guy that I don't know if we're allowed to talk about anymore, but his name is Joss Whedon. Yeah. And they all collaborate on a screenplay about that begins with literally the destruction of the Earth Made into an animated film with Matt Damon, Bill Pullman, John Leguizamo, Nathan Lane, Janine Groffalo, and Drew Barrymore, it's Titan AE. I give it credit because it's one of the few apocalyptic films that I can sit down and show my kids and be like, see that planet? That's where we lived, and it's gone now. Best of luck to your generation. I'm a terrible father. But if you've never seen Titan AE, based on just that writing, the screenplay authors. It's great. the The original story was by Han, Hans Bauer and Randall McCormick, but the screenplay was by those gentlemen. Uh, it It's not to everybody's taste, but I do love Titan A.E. I was one of the fifteen people in America, I think, that saw it in the theater. Love the soundtrack to it. Love everything about the film. It's just a lot of fun.
6: Skip it. Watch Wally. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Uh, Wally, the world doesn't blow up. It's it's pretty post apocalyptic. We discussed it in the episode. I know, but it doesn't blow up. There's still a world there. Your mom blows up. The dredge blew up the whole planet. He took the whole planet, Joe. (laughs) He He took took the the bar. He took the whole bar. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. It's all a matter
2: of perspective, really. Some might argue that they fuck it up each week, but others might think they're actually quite informed and funny. You're just upset
3: because uh, every week you ask them not to uh, make out like you've demanded they, <laughs> do the, they do the episode, and every week they uh, say, I don't know what Glenn was thinking. He's making us do this. Yes. That's, uh, my, they, that's my version they, of a they, accent. they
2: certainly do like to give me shit, <laughs> <laughs> and I figure I should give them some back.
3: But they didn't well, fuck Well, yeah, up. it's nice that uh, they think of you as their uh, overlord. <laughs> <laughs> their uh, Good Movie Monday uh, major-domo. We
2: are a collaborative here at Good Movie Monday, <laughs> yeah. and that's the way I like it. Um, <laughs> but thanks, Boneheads. Be sure to check out their full-length show, Bonehead Weekly, wherever you find your podcast from. That was actually my impression of Joe.
3: Oh, was it? That was my Joe before.
2: Maybe next week I we'll have a segment.
3: Jo- I can only do Joe's, like, what was Glenn thinking? <laughs> I don't know who Glenn had to blow, but (laughs) please. You're welcome on our show anytime. Always wants our guests. And I'm like, you're flattering yourself if you think that the people that we interview listen to the show once we've done it.
2: Hey, the other guy that we have on this show is Adam Ross, and he's the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association. He also appears every week on Triple M and Ticker TV. Uh, We're lucky to call him one of ours, and he was here first. So uh, here he is with this week's post-apocalyptic recommendation.
5: Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week, we are doing post-apocalyptic films and the post-apocalyptic film that I have landed on is 12 Monkeys. Now, the plot of this movie is terrifying in terms of how prophetic it is with what's going on now. So, a virus has entered the world and has killed a bunch of people, basically 99% of the population. And some people live underground. Now, what we also have at our disposal in the future is a form of time travel. So we, as a society, use that to send people, like Cole, played here by Bruce Willis, back in time to try and figure some shit out. The reason why this movie, except for its you know twisted, incredible plot, is kind of so cool and memorable is the direction of Terry Gilliam. Now, Terry Gilliam kind of does this steam junk Aesthetic in this movie, and he fills every frame with these bizarre, kind of complex but cheap looking trinkets. And so, his production design makes you wholeheartedly subscribe. To this version of the future it's quite startling how technically impressive this film is even especially revisiting it and you know there's so much padding that happens these days with cgi backdrops and stuff like that and gillam is just putting in all of these intricate details to try and make you believe this story um willis here as the lead is amazingly kind of against type you know i mean this is as far from john mclean as you can get he's kind of Everything from a ball of rage to a slobbering mess. Uh, you know, he's very empathetic in this movie. He's very scared because basically as a cypher for the audience, I mean, he's in a very, very confusing situation, as are we. Uh, he's afforded incredible support here by Brad Pitt, again, playing wildly against type. Um, and he was awarded a Golden Globe and an Oscar nom for this performance. And he is really, really going for it. But if you've, you know, I'm, I think that most people or that are probably listening to a film podcast are a little bit susceptible to sci-fi, to clever, twisted things. And this is one of the best ones of like the last 25 years. So if 12 Monkeys has managed to slide under your radar, go and check it out. And I think that you'll genuinely be deeply impressed by Gillum's chops as a director and this really, truly twisted screenplay here by David Peebles, who also wrote Blade Runner. So check it out. Five stars from me, 12 Monkeys. Twelve monkeys,
2: in a barrel. Funky Monkey monkeys. You could actually
3: do, play, uh, do, Beastie Boys, do
2: the fun- yeah, given. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to argue with Twelve Monkeys. It's a great film. Never seen it. Wow. Get on it, boy. I don't know why. It
3: would I just uh, people in a mental institution. Like those <laughs> movies. Like people being crazy don't appeal to me.
2: I don't like uh, Dream Team.
3: Well no well, they're fun that's 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 fun like that's not uh they're not being asked to save the world they're just being asked to not take their clothes off in a church
2: so what you're saying is that crazy people aren't capable of saving the world
3: I'm just digging myself deeper into a hole i no i'm they're perfectly capable I'm, I just don't want to watch them do it
2: fair enough like, and no, you can you... send all mail to ben <laughs> 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 all right. Another recommendation each. Uh, ben, I would like you to go first on this one. Oh, Drop a big right. fat one on me, mate. <laughs> so
3: <laughs> this one certainly is a fatty. Uh, <laughs> from 2016, uh, I want to talk about Anna Lily Amipour's The Bad Batch, which does... I When I was thinking about doing this review, I was like, this is definitely a post-apocalyptic film. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back and, and watched it again, I'm like, oh no, it's it's actually um, more dystopian because the whole plot of the film is is Suki, it starts at Suki Waterhouse, and she is basically for undisclosed offences kicked out of society, and like sent to, to fend for herself in the, in the desert. Yep, where they've—it's like Escape from New York, where they've mm-hmm. sealed off a part of—I'm assuming America.
2: Yeah, she's cast
3: out, and she's cast out, and has to survive. And immediately, she's immediately beset by two women in a golf co- golf cart who knock her out, cut her arm and her leg off uh, to consume, <laughs> <laughs> and then she has to, um, you know, kind of fend for herself. And uh, Jason Momoa pops up. Jim Carrey mm-hmm. does a great has a great kind of appearance as. As a wasteland bum, aka Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's a very weird. Keanu Reeves uh, uh, pops up as uh, what's his what's his name? It's like the the sweet or the cream or
2: can't remember. But it's definitely um, one of those movies. Like remember a few weeks ago we were talking about those movies. The dream maybe it's the dream. Yeah, we're talking about movies like the Interstate sixty where they kind of come from nowhere and um, this huge ensemble cast is formed, yeah. and yet they're very small films.
3: And this, well, I think everyone because. Uh, Prior to this, Anna Lily had done "A Girl Walks Home at Night," which yeah. was like this yep. kind of massive indie kind of hit. Yep. And yep. so, I think a lot of these people were like, "Yes, I want to be in her next yep. thing." Yep. And uh, Jason Momoa, like he bulks out like like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> it. And there is actually there's a great kind of it's very almost fetishist fetish fetish fetishistic fetish. What else is that word? <laughs> I, I can't say it. It's, they, she fetish, I want, I, fetishizes I don't want to try uh, muscle men like and there's a scene yeah. where all because they're all and the, it's possibly the first film where muscle men existing in a post-apocalyptic environment like yeah. Mad Max or stuff has ever been uh, actually like justified because to become huge like that, not only do you have to consume a vast amount of steroids, mm-hmm. but you really have to get <laughs> that protein up <laughs> like it is. And, you know, like things like the barba- like uh, barbarians and stuff where they're mm. like they're slaves, but then they turn into the barbarian brothers. And you're like, you're, not, you're not, you don't turn into the barbarian brothers by eating gruel. You're like it just doesn't happen. You die. You don't. Uh, and being worked to death. You don't get super muscly. And these guys, are, well, they're consuming human flesh. And they all they do is exist in the desert, pumping iron and eating dudes.
2: It's a really good thing you didn't do the uh, synopsis on the back of the video. You know, was it fetishists?
3: Fetish fetishistic?
2: Fetishistic. It's just I it's, could it's write so, it. It's... I could
3: write it. I just I wouldn't say that. It's like it's like if you read a fantasy novel, like you. You Rule number one of reading any kind of fantasy novel is do not talk about any of the characters out loud because the minute you have to say their names, <laughs> the minute you're like, what am I doing with my life? Like, this sounds stupid.
2: Well, it's just a wonderful thing. I'm not the only one slurring my words on this episode. Yeah. That's my well, point. In my defense, I haven't been up for 24 hours, but I'm quite <laughs> drunk. Ah, uh, Well, before I went all the way back to 1950s for my earlier choice on the beach, I'm going to bring it all the way up to 2020 for my next one. So Green, bring
3: it on up, bring it on up. Greenland on.
2: starring Gerard Butler and uh, Ooh, like Monica Buchan. Yeah, did you watch it? Yes. Oh my God, what a film. This took me by surprise, I can tell you.
3: I can like it is like I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was an odd I thought it was odd that it existed. Because yeah. I feel like it's um deep impact.
2: Well it has that that from a, deep from impact. A, just from a
3: different it'll... a different perspective, like just from Joe Blow who lives down the road. Totally.
2: Totally, and that's what I liked about it, because I'd seen the story before, but yeah. I hadn't seen it told this way. Like It was told yeah. in a very um, urgent matter-of-fact kind of yeah. way. Uh, it, is, it depicts the uh, mankind in its final hours, which we are talking about before, Jared Butler and his family being on the government's emergency list to a, seek shelter.
3: Marina Baccarin is the wife?
2: Yes, that's right. Um, and they are told to just pack one bag, hit the road and go, but when they get to the, uh, the, the air base, they find out the son has a medical condition and therefore... Won't be accepted, blah, blah, blah. But it's one of those films where it's all about the human panic and the condition and what people will go to to save themselves, you know? Yeah. It's terrifying, though. I was absolutely, like, on the edge of my seat all the way through this one. And directed by Rick Roman, War, who did Angel Has Fallen, Felon and Snitch. So, Felon? Felon, which is a film, I think, that had um, Stephen Dorff, if I'm not mistaken... The Dauphinator, the <laughs> Dorster, but those films are of a different kind of pedigree. So it really took me by surprise that he's helmed this one because it was originally yeah. going to be Neil Blomkamp, which made much more sense to me.
3: Yeah, uh, but it, it didn't have any weird. It didn't have any South Africans <laughs> or any weird, uh, weird like alien slash robot dudes.
2: It is ultra violent though, like totally. really graphic and
3: but, but really uh, realistic. Yeah, kind of guy, you know. Yeah. Guy down the street who's a gun nut kind of violence.
2: Because I thought about this as I'm watching it, I'm watching it with my partner, and we're both really into it. I like, just couldn't believe what we're watching. But I'm thinking to myself, even if this has a really sort of a, even if it ties it up very nicely at the end, I'm still gonna feel completely gutted by it. Yeah. You know, nothing can really bring me out of this state.
3: <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't for a second let you forget that everyone these people know yeah. and every everyone these people run into on their journey yeah. are basically gonna die.
2: Yes. Absolutely, you know, and there are scenes, and, and this is no spoiler for people that might want to watch it. It is on one of the streaming services, but those scenes where the the son gets kidnapped, yeah, my goodness, like that is gut wrenching. Yeah. yeah, it's a pretty good plan on their part. Oh, though. fantastic plan! <laughs> <laughs> like, that's
3: a, what a great idea! Like they, I mean, they don't know what the problem is. Yeah, but it's uh, totally.
2: Know. Well, there we go. So that's it. That's all of our recommendations. That's it. Yes. So that means we're pretty much at the end of the show. Some honourable mentions before we go. I've got some down. I don't know if you do. Uh,
3: I had some. Uh, I wanted to
2: quickly talk about um, Wim Wenders' Until the End of the World. Now, this film was made back in the late 80s, all mostly in Australia. In that was, is
3: that the one about the, the cinema projectionist?
2: No. No, no, no. That's not. No, oh, This one's the one that goes
3: for like four hours. Yeah, five hours. Five, hours. five hours.
2: Well, It's got about four different cuts. There's a two-hour cut, three-hour cut, but the director's cut recently had a Criterion Blu-ray release, and it is five hours long. Holy yes. fuck. Film, like I said, mostly in Australia. I believe Australian landscape was his inspiration for the film, but it then is filmed on nearly every continent in the world. Did you, I, did
3: you do it in one sitting?
2: I haven't done the five hour cut. I've only done the three hour cut, right. and I did went. Did you to, do that in one sitting? Yeah, I did. But I went to buy this version, and I was like, "Oh, the Criterion overseas. It's a bit expensive. Yeah, <laughs> I might wait a little bit." The last one I bought was that shortcuts one. Yeah, ironically, that's a long film too. But once again, like you know. It's a lot of money. Yeah. I will do it. It'll just have to come down a little bit in price for me. I can wait. Some others. Uh, Quiet Earth, Amiga Man, Hardware. Amazing film.
3: Ripped off from a uh,
2: 2000 AD comic book Which that he was later forced to acknowledge. Same universe as Judge Dredd. Uh, and then there's the director's cut of Babylon AD. That's an interesting one.
3: I've seen the uh, director's cut of that. Yeah, the...
2: it's good. I mean, it's not vastly different from the theatrical cut, but it just feels a little bit more cohesive. Right. I like the universe they've built in that one. It's good. I like the uh, the girl in it. Who was that? I can't remember. Uh, did you think it's m- not Melanie Laurent? It's, uh,
3: <laughs> she's a French she's a French actress, and I actually... Oh, a French director. It's a French director, yeah. yeah. And she was in... She was in Largo Winch, the first Lago Winch yeah, movie, right. which I really liked, and uh, uh,
2: the Princess of. Well, we won't get much love for Babylon AD anyway. Yeah. Um, no, Snowpiercer, AI, Clockwork Orange, list goes on. It's a great uh, genre. I had uh, Twenty Eight Days Later,
3: which I, which I, th- I think is a great post-apocalyptic kind of, and no doubt we'll talk about it on
2: the uh, the the video tomorrow night.
3: Yeah. Without um, doubt. Because it's a funny one. I feel like people think it's a zombie film, and you're it's like, not. It's it's a hundred percent not. Yep, absolutely. Um, it's zombie like, mm. but the whole the whole censure of the film is that they it's are rage. very much alive. Yep, you know that's the you know, <laughs> that's the thing. It's a great film. And this other film, which I had heard, I'd heard on the tracks. Yep, that this was the greatest post apocalyptic film since Mad Max. Okay, uh, it's called Interzone. <laughs> okay, it was so uh, good. I've never heard of it. Never heard of it. It stars. Um, Ah, uh, Bruce Abbott from uh, Reanimator. From Reanimator, and uh, I tracked down a copy. I haven't been able to get a copy anywhere, but it is on YouTube. Uh, particularly, like the sound is not great, but it does exist on YouTube. And I tried to watch it last night. I not very. I, really. I, I think I made it through the first twenty minutes before I fell asleep. Well, that's, I, you know. Yeah,
2: that's the one I thought might have been a, a boy and his dog or whatever, because that's quite often touted as one of the, like the most underrated post-apocalyptic films yeah. of all time. Interesting, and that's a. I mean, boy, I think that could,
3: had an umbrella released locally on DVD. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's come out in blue local. Probably not.
2: Yeah. Well, anyway, good stuff. Uh, throwing back. Let's just quickly thank everybody again: Jarrett, Gemo, Adam, Joe, Chad, and James. Thank you, gentlemen, and thanks to Ben. Uh, good stuff, sir. Um, could you just start basting yourself every night? Um, in preparation. That would be much appreciated. Sure. <laughs> Any final I'll words? Just, I'll eat just like a, like herbs. Okay. Lots
3: of bag of herbs to, you know, and keep the fat content high. No coriander. Pork, pork myself up.
2: No coriander. No. A lot of <laughs> lot of pineapple juice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're
2: gonna we're gonna sign off with a song that is all about the end of days. Uh, it's called "In the Twilight" and. Uh, it's... For me, one of the most powerful songs from a concept album called Year Zero by Nine Inch Nails, which is uh, supposed to have been adapted into a film and still has not been done yet. But here it is. This song paints a very stark vision of what 2022 might have been from the perspective of 2005. Uh, Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you in seven days' time to do it all over again.